But we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22 is my main passage of scripture today. And um, let me set this up for you. This particular story that we're going to read in Genesis 22 uh, involves a father and a son and an incredible love relationship uh, between a father and his only uh, begotten son. And uh, this, this uh, man's name was Abraham, and the boy's name, uh, young man's name, was Isaac. And so Abraham was chosen by God to create a covenant. This covenant is important because it gives God a way to reveal his characteristics of holiness and his love to mankind through one family and then ultimately a nation. This concentrated relationship between the creator of the universe and one nation gives us a great picture of God as laid out in his word. So that's why this guy's really important. This all begins with Abraham. And it would all go through his lineage. The only problem is Abraham and his wife Sarah couldn't have any kids. Couldn't have any children. She was believed to be barren. So one day, Sarah, his wife, thought, you know what? I'm going to help God out. Here's my servant and you can have a child with my servant, and that'll be the same thing. Have you ever wanted to help God out? Has God ever been late <laughs> to something? Or have you felt like God was just uh, not there? And even though he's, he's promised to never leave you or forsake you, you're like, okay, I'm, I know I'm supposed to wait upon the Lord, but maybe I should help God out a little bit. Well, probably just like in this story, you will find out here uh, soon, is that um, it, it, those things... Uh, don't really go well whenever we decide to help God out and uh, have another alternate plan. So what happened is that um, this firstborn son uh, actually uh, left with his, uh, with his mother, Hagar, and uh, after the, uh, the promised one through Sarah, his wife, was born, and his name was Isaac. And so... Um, this, got, this came through the promise, and, um, and Isaac, as we pick up here in Genesis 22, verse 1, he's in his late teens or early 20s. Um, uh, that's basically what uh, biblical, biblical scholars say. And so here uh, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, so let's go uh, here, and let's read a few of these verses here. So, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said... To his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. 
When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their great enemies. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we read your word today, I pray, Lord, that You move me out of the way. You let your spirit move. Your word alone will stand. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that that every word that is spoken will not return void. But, Lord, you will cause seed to be planted in all of our hearts here today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. When you read this passage, you see so many similarities between Isaac and Jesus. Incredible. If you really just do a, a, a study on this, I mean, there's, uh, you do some research, there's even as much as 30 similarities. And we're not going to go through all of those 30s, but there's some that I want to highlight for you today. And then what I want to do is I'm going to use this passage and how we're going to apply it to our lives today. So, a few of the similarities are, first of all, Isaac and Jesus were both the promised son. We see this promise in in Isaac back a few chapters later in 17, Genesis 17, 19. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Now, of course, Jesus was the uh, promised one. We even see several places in scripture, but here in Matthew 1, 20 through 21, it says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him uh, in a dream. This is to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Not only are these guys uh, promised sons, Jesus and Isaac, but they are actually named by God or named by the angel. And so we see this promised son. Another thing we see is the only begotten. The only begotten of the father. Isaac was the only begotten of the promised one through Sarah of Abraham. God considered Isaac the only one of the promise because God promised a son through her. The Bible shares that Jesus is the only begotten son in passages like John 3, 16. And even in 1 John 4, 9. 1 John 4, 9 says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The key word in that is live. We might live through him. 
So we see a promised son similarities, the only begotten of the father. We also see that both of them carried wood for the sacrifice. Isaac carried the wood on the shoulders, walking up towards the sacrifice. And we also see Jesus carried the wooden cross on his shoulders as he's walking towards the sacrifice. We see this in John 19, 7 through 18. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with him, two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. So Abraham put the, the wood on Isaac and Isaac carried that wood towards the sacrifice towards the altar, and Jesus did the same thing. Another similarity is they both submitted to their fathers. They both submitted to their fathers. Biblical scholars believe Isaac was in his uh, late teens or early 20s in this part of the story, while Abraham was a little over 100 years old. There's no way that Abraham could have forcibly tied down Isaac. I, I think of some of, my, some of my children. My wife and I, we have six kids, and they are all here today. Praise the Lord. We love that. Uh, that's, a, that's a miracle of God that they're, because they're all living in different parts uh, uh, of the country, and so um, we're so glad they're here today. But we've got four, uh, four of those are boys, and I could tell you uh, from my oldest boy to my youngest boy, I could, I could not in my own strength try to tie them down and, and to anywhere, especially when they feel like their life was in danger. You know, they would take me out, I guarantee you. And so, but imagine Abraham, 100 years old, with Isaac, late teens or early 20s, trying to forcibly tie him down. Isaac, we see Isaac here willingly laying down his body on the altar. Laying down his body on the altar. Jesus did the same thing. First John 3.16 this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So just like Jesus would 2,000 years later, Isaac laid down his life and submitted to the Father. They were both placed on wooden altars. Wooden altar there with Isaac and Abraham, Isaac, Place on a wooden altar, Jesus placed on a wooden cross. And they were both sacrificed in the same location. The scene with Abraham and Isaac took place on Mount Moriah. A thousand years later, so you got Abraham and Isaac. A thousand years later, you have King Solomon, king of Israel, who would build the temple there as we read in Chronicles 3.1. It says, then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on what? Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared to his father David. This Mount Moriah then became known as Mount Zion or Jerusalem. And Jesus was sacrificed there in Jerusalem. So not only there are similarities of, of how uh, this sacrifice would take place, but even the location that it would take place. And then finally, the other similarity I want to share with you is they were both sort of raised on the third day. Isaac was, quote, raised to life, or given a new lease on life on the third day of their journey. Because as the scripture just read in Genesis, they traveled for three days. And Jesus was literally raised on the third day. So what do the, what do these similarities of Isaac and Jesus have to do with us today? You may say, well, Pastor Frank, that's really cool and all. It's really neat that God sort of foreshadowed that. 
But what does it have to do with me today? It shows that God had a plan all along to provide a sacrifice for our sins. This scene in Genesis 22 took place 2,000 years before Jesus. If God would have, um, would have this scene play out showing all of these similarities 2,000 years before the cross, don't you think that he also cares about your life 2,000 years after the cross? If God wanted to portray this scene 2,000 years before the cross, he cares about your life 2,000 years after the cross. And just like Isaac, Jesus is asking us to take up our wood and lay something down as an altar. And this is where we're going to apply this into our life. Jesus even said this in Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What does it look like to take up our cross? What does it look like to take up our cross? First of all, that scripture we just read, that is, that is hard teaching. If you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, what does it mean to take, do, do we all carry an actual wooden cross? What does it mean to take up our cross? What is the thing that we've got to bear and we've got to bring to the cross to die in order to have new life? How do we do that? Well, Abraham shows us that. And we see this in this passage in Genesis chapter 22. First of all, we've got to be ready to obey God. Be ready to obey God. Abraham showed his willingness, and he, he was fully convinced that God had spoken to him. Fully convinced. If otherwise, Abraham was insane at best and evil at worst if he did not hear from the Lord. Abraham heard from God and responded appropriately. We should have the same response toward God. Often, that is when God reveals his will for us. God will reveal often, times, when he asks us to, to do something and we're ready to obey, that's when he will reveal a lot of his will for your life. Are you searching for a purpose? Are you searching for something in your life, your will? Then maybe there's some, something you, you need to obey. Maybe there's, there's a cross you need to take up. So we need, to, we need to be ready to obey God. And that's not just through prayer, it's through his word. His word is packed full of things. And, and, and even if you've read this book multiple times, when you reread it, or chapters, when you read a, reread a chapter, you're going to find something else. And I encourage you, when you read God's word, pray and ask the Lord, Lord, reveal something in this word that I need to adjust my life. Our lives should be adjusted to what is in God's word. And so that's how we live our lives. And so God's word can speak to you. This word is alive and active, and it can pierce all the way down to the core of who we are and to help us to align ourselves to him. So we need to be ready to obey God, just like uh, Abraham was. We, need to always, uh, we also need to obey when it doesn't make sense. We need to obey when it doesn't make sense. This command got by God seems really irrational. 
It just doesn't make sense. When God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac had no children. The dilemma for Abraham was, well, God promised me lots of descendants, and they're supposed to come through Isaac, but I have to sacrifice him before he has any children. (laughs) Despite any confusion Abraham experienced, he obeyed. You know, there are times when God's word just may not make sense. God's word just may not make sense in our life, and especially in our culture. And as we grow closer and closer to the time whenever Jesus is coming back for his church, you can start seeing a divide, a, a cultural divide between what is in God's word and what the world is doing, what the culture is doing. And it's really important that we've got to make sure we don't read God's word through the eyes of our culture, but we read God's word through what they were experiencing at that time. We've got to read God's word in the context of how it's presented, both both with the words and also with the historical facts, with the culture around it. Because Satan wants you to do everything possible to separate what's in God's word and the culture and for for you to think that this word is irrelevant and this word is crazy. Things like, why would you, why do you have to go to church or why do you have to give? That that makes no sense to give. When God tells us to to tithe, it makes no sense to tithe when when I'm barely making, you know, making payments on things. That, That just doesn't make sense. You're right. It doesn't make sense to us, but to God and his culture and and, and his kingdom and his word, we've got to trust and we've got to obey when it doesn't make sense. So we need to be ready to obey God. We need to obey when it doesn't make sense. We also need to obey without delay. There in Genesis, it says in 22, Abraham rose early The next morning, he did not delay doing what God wanted him to do. And uh, he saddled his donkey and split the wood for the offering. You know, it's interesting. Abraham had lots of servants. He had lots of people that he could have had them split the wood. I mean, 100 years old, I mean, I I could swing an ax like maybe 15 times and I'm done. But this guy, 100 years old, is splitting wood. He's taking care of it by himself, even though he has servants. He's literally taking this act of obedience all on his own. He's like, this, this is mine to own. This is mine to own. So when God calls you to obey with something and to do something, then it's important to go ahead and do it quickly. Why? Because your carnal mind is going to talk you out of it. Your carnal mind is going to talk you out of it. Maybe it's someone in your life that you need to forgive. Maybe it's someone in life you need, a, you need to get that relationship right. And, and, and you know God's telling you, you need to write them a note, you need to send them a text, you need to have coffee with them, you need to do whatever it takes to mend that relationship. But yet you keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. When in actuality, God wants you to do it right then and right there. The more we put it off, the more our mind is gonna talk us out of those things. So we need to make sure we obey without delay. Delayed obedience, we say this in our house all the time. Delayed obedience is what? Disobedience. My kids can tell you that. (laughs) Delayed obedience is 
disobedience. So we need to be ready to obey God. We need to obey when it doesn't make sense. We need to do it quickly. And we need to obey without interference. Abraham would not let anyone interfere with him obeying. There's no indication that the two servants that went with, um, with Isaac and Abraham on this three-day journey, there's no indication that they knew of what God had told Abraham to do. In fact, in fact, according to Scripture, only Abraham knew what God had told him to do. And Abraham more than likely thought that they would restrain him from going through the sacrifice when they learn what he had planned. Can you imagine? Hey, uh, hey guys, when we, when we get to this place, I'm gonna sacrifice my son. <laughs> I mean, can, can you imagine? I mean, they, they would do everything they can to, to stop that. And so, even though God is not calling us to do something as drastic as that, there are things that God is calling us to do that other people can get in the way, that there can be some interference in your life. And so what Abraham did, he, he told the servants, you guys stay behind at the bottom of this mountain while me and my son climb up to Mount Moriah. And we are going to what? We're going to worship when we get there. If you are, if God is calling you to move forward in your walk or to do something in your life and there are people in your life who are, who are stopping you or could be an interference with that, you probably need to move them to another circle of friends. I like, to, I like to think of circles of friends. We have different circles of friends. Some of those friends are close circles, right? And some friends are in other circles a little bit further away. You might need to move some of those friends to an outer circle a little bit further away to where they're not so much of an influence. We talk to our students here at Lake Point Church about this all the time. It's really important, and it goes for adults as well. If there are people who are doing negative thoughts into your life, if there are people who, who are uh, tempting you and, uh, in, into following certain ways in your life, then you probably need to move them to an outer circle to where they are not so much of an influence and they will not interrupt you following and obeying what God has called you to do. So it's important that we obey without uh, interference. And then we also learn from Abraham that obedience is worship. The greater sacrifice involved in obeying God, the greater the worship. The greater the worship. As Abraham said, we're going to the mountain to worship. This right here was probably in the, the most important act of worship in the entire Old Testament for Abraham to, to follow up with what God wanted him to do. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the worship. It is fitting that the first use of the word worship in Scripture occurs in this passage right here, in Genesis 22, 5. This is what worship is, first time used. Unfortunately, when we think of worship, we think of just singing and, and, and lifting our voice to God. And yes, that, that is part of worship, but that's only a small portion of our worship. Worship is really our life and what we do with our life and the very lives that we are sacrificing. Paul says this, the Apostle Paul says this greatly in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Complete surrender and submission to God is the greatest act of worship you and I can do. When we decide, hey, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. I know, God, that you want me to do this. And so I'm going to follow without delay. I'm not going to let people interrupt what you call me to do. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be ready. Be, I'm going to be ready when you call me. And so when you do that, you are actually worshiping with God with your life because it is a sacrifice, just like we just said. Sacrifice of worship. And so I want to encourage you, and that's what, that's what Abraham did. He showed us what true and proper, proper worship was right up there in Genesis 22. And then finally, my last point is this, trust God. How did Abraham resolve the seemingly impossible dilemma of God promising his children through Isaac, but then commanding him to sacrifice him? The answer is in Abraham's words to his servant. Did you catch in Genesis 22 when when Abraham said, we will be back? Not I will be back, but we will be back. His servants were left behind. He took Isaac, his son, up to Mount Moriah, and he told his servants, we will be back. Abraham knew. Abraham had full trust in the Lord God. Abraham expected to sacrifice Isaac and then return with him. He believed God would raise Isaac from the dead. We even see this. The writer for the book of Hebrews, Hebrews eleven nineteen, says this. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So this answers the question of whether Abraham would have sacrificed Isaac. Yes, He would have, believing God would bring him back to life. That is an incredible amount of faith. An incredible amount of faith. And just know this, God's not going to ask us to do do something like that that degree because guess what? God actually sent Jesus to to go through with that. And, and, And Abraham... He called that place where the Lord provides. On the mountain, it will be provided. And God provided a sacrifice there. And in the middle of nowhere, this this ram was caught, and he was able to use that as a sacrifice. So we see in this interaction, this scene with Abraham and Isaac, we see a portrayal of, a foreshadowing of Jesus on the cross and what he had to do. But also not on the cross, but with being raised from the dead after the third day. And so how how do we apply that to our life? Just like what Abraham said, through our obedience. What Abraham did, through our obedience to God, which is our true spiritual act of worship. Let me ask you a question. Is there an area in your life that, that feels dead? Have you ever felt an area in your life that just feels dead? 
maybe spiritually, maybe, you know, mentally, emotionally. Maybe there's some relationships that just, just feel dead or just lifeless. Maybe you're just going through life. Maybe you've gone through some, some really bad hardships and, and, and there's, some, there's a need for new life. Do you feel like something needs to be raised back to life within your heart, within your soul? There have been times in my own life, absolutely, when areas, it just feels like, man, I'm just, I'm just dead in this area. Lord, I need, I need new life. I need you to, to, to bring a fresh air of your power in my life. If you've ever felt that, or maybe you're feeling that now, can I tell you something? In order for you to have new life, something must die in your life. In order for you to have new life, something must die. What do you need to lay on the altar today? You may not think you have the strength. You may not think you have the strength to do that. Maybe there's some things that you're, you know that God's telling you to do, but you keep putting it off and keep putting it off and keep putting it off. And the result of that is that there's some there's some areas in your life that just need new life. So I want to encourage you. Follow through with what God has asked you to do. Follow through. Maybe it's to become a spiritual leader in your home. That's, a, that's an important role. Men, fathers, I want to encourage you. This, this book you don't need to understand every single part of it. But man, I want to encourage you. Take this book. Just lead it with your family. Even if it's just small, little doses. Pray with your children. Pray with your kids. Grandparents, pray with your kids. Pray with your spouse. Lead your families. Maybe that's something. Maybe God's, maybe God's telling you to, to quit something that you know is not being honoring, bringing honor and glory to, his, to, to your relationship with God or maybe to your relationship with your family. Maybe you need to go and, and, and ask for forgiveness of someone in your family or in your life. Whatever the case may be, if God is asking you to obey, I want to encourage you, just obey I know, it's, I know it's not an easy task, but I do know this. If you want to go from where you are to where God wants you to be, there has to be a journey of obedience. There has to be a journey of obedience. And through that journey, God is going to reveal himself in so many powerful and incredible ways. You, you will be amazed as you understand and get to know God for who he is and what he wants to do in your life, I just want to encourage you, follow that up with obedience. And some of you here today maybe watching online or, or listening, there could even be people here today, you're like, you know, Frank, I've, I've, been, I've been searching for truth. I've even read part of God's word. I don't really fully understand it. 
I try to do a little bit of praying, but I'm just, I'm just not sure. But I, I know I need something. I've got this big hole in my heart, and I've got this empty space, and I just don't know what to do. And, and I think that God is telling me that he wants to be a part of my life. And I think I need to invite Jesus in. You know, that door of your heart only has one doorknob, and that's on the inside. Jesus is not going to make his way in. You have to open the door and allow him to come in. Maybe that is your act of obedience. Maybe that is your act of obedience. Maybe that still small voice in your life, in your heart, is saying, hey, it's time. Just, you, you, you need to invite Jesus. You need new life. Like I said earlier, in order for new life to happen, something has to die. And for that to happen, the thing that needs to die is our pride. Our pride needs to die. Because it's usually pride is what stands in the way of us, of us accepting Jesus Christ. So do you feel lifeless in an area of your life? Do you feel like there is a void in your life? Do you feel like you need something with new life breathing inside of you? Then it's time to reach out, open that door, and to invite Jesus in. And if you've already done that, that you're, you're, you have an area in your life that, that just needs new life, it's time to surrender. It's time to find out, come to grips with God and say, okay, God, that's enough of, of me not obeying. It's time for me. Because that deadness that you're feeling is because of the disobedience. You want to be raised to life? <laughs> you want to be raised to life? It's time to surrender. Let's bow our head. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. Thank you for showing us a picture of the cross 2,000 years before with Abraham and Isaac. And thank you, Father, that you sent your son Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. And I pray, Father, that as you work on the hearts of people here today, Lord, that you, you cause us to surrender. You get us to a point, Lord, where we face you and, and, and all the things that you call us to do and, and that thing we're holding on to, Lord, that we surrender it to you. And Lord, that you remove that deadness and that we have new life. You raise us to life, Lord Jesus. So everyone here today, if you need to have new life, I just want you to say to the Lord right now, Lord, I surrender. I surrender that to you. You know what that is, to say I surrender. I surrender those groups of friends that are interfering with me. I surrender those substances. I surrender those things that's pulling me back. I surrender my pride. I surrender my ability to do things on my own. I surrender, I surrender my life to you. And if you're here today and you've not 
accepted Christ as Savior, you could do that right now with a simple prayer like this to say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I open my heart to you. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Forgive me my sin. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, it is my prayer that this Easter message, even though we didn't spend an entire a lot of time in the New Testament, we spent a lot of our time in the Old Testament comparing those two similarities of Isaac and Jesus. But really, the bottom line is this. We, if we all need new life in, in certain areas. And the way to do that is to surrender those areas that God is calling us to obey.